Hello and welcome to the Michigan State University College of Osteopathic Medicine, our MedEd Transformation Podcast. I am joined today uh, by Dr. Jackie McParland, who is a former emergency medicine physician, but now serves as a wellness champion, a professional coach, and a leader in promoting osteopathic recognition across the medical community. Uh, Jackie, thank you so much for being here with me today. Deb, thanks for inviting me. It's always nice to have a platform where we can talk about well-being and osteopathy and how we can promote that um, professionally. Great. Um, Let's first start with um, your passion and interest in wellness and coaching. We know that that's part of the osteopathic profession and you being an osteopathic physician, but that passion had to come from somewhere. So let's start with that path. So this actually goes back to my younger years, uh, way before medical school. Uh, My mom was a big advocate of particularly manipulation in helping maintain well-being. So that was something I was exposed to as a young girl and uh, always had a desire to go to medical school. And when I had that opportunity, I realized that the only types of medical schools I would wanna go to were an osteopathic medical school because I believed in treating the whole person. Um, As I went through school and learned more and more about osteopathy, it just resonated with me um, and what, what is important in treating a patient. It's not just about giving a pill. It's really diving a little deeper into what's going on and what does that patient need? And I felt very comfortable with that type of practice. And interestingly enough, it was uh, A.T. Still, who was the founder of osteopathy, that coined the term wellness back in the 1870s. So um, again, osteopathy really was a good fit for my wellness. And then as I proceeded through school um, and residency and and my professional career, I had gone through um, burnout. And it was important for me to figure out how to deal with this. And in that, I um, had the opportunity to get involved in some professional coaching And I worked with a physician coach who really understood what what we went through as physicians. And um, that was just so immensely helpful to me. And then to further promote well-being, um, I pursued a fellowship in integrative medicine, which brought, again, so many aspects of osteopathy uh, into that training. And Interestingly enough, part of our training was on osteopathy in that integrative medicine fellowship. And again, it just cemented why well-being is so important. And um, it propelled me and I just found myself walking around going, I'm going to be your your doctor that's the champion of well-being in this institution. And uh, it's come true. I love that so much. And so you had a coach and now you are a coach. What impact has that had on the residents and and faculty and physicians of the programs that that you serve on on a daily basis? So coaching, um, just for people who are not familiar with coaching, coaching is an opportunity for you to become clear on what it is that you would like to have manifested in your life, what you would like your career to look like, your home life to look like, um, how you care for yourself personally. And a coach is a person who helps you identify what those goals and priorities are, helps you to come up with a plan that works for you, and then serves as someone who helps keep you accountable for the things that you said you can do. It's the, the gentle nudge to say, just go deep inside and remember what it is that you wanted. And that was something that was so powerful for me to um, help me see what my blind spots were, why I wasn't achieving the things I wanted to achieve. And it became um, 
almost like medicine was a calling. It became one of those things that I wanted to learn more on how to do this with people so that they could really be fulfilled in their careers. And um, in my career, I chose to work just with physicians at this point. And that has been um, very fulfilling. I work with physicians all around the country and have learned so much about um, the things that we go through, even beyond my own experience, and that we really do have some control over how we live our lives, even though most people come into coaching thinking they have no control, that they're just a puppet, which isn't true. And in my opportunities to work with the uh, residents and faculty uh, through Beaumont Health, it's been very rewarding that um, sometimes even in a few sessions, they can, they can begin doing things differently so that their life is more fulfilling to them and less stressful and that they're achieving um, so much of what they wanted to achieve in their career. So before the recording started today, we talked a little bit about how phys physicians are resilient. We, we've seen it in studies. We know that, that physicians can handle the, the work that they do, that will really this, um, this burnout factor is more of a, a system level issue, but I, I'm hearing that you are making great strides with individuals. So how, what are we doing to address the system aspect of it? So there's a couple of things. And uh, again, for people who might not be familiar, I'd refer you to the Stanford model of professional fulfillment. And in this model, think of a circle. In the center of the circle is professional fulfillment. So anyone who goes into the health careers, most of us feel that it's a calling, whether you're a physician, a nurse, uh, you were a pharmacist, um, you went in that because you felt you had some strengths in this, but you also wanted to help people. And um, helping people is what's, what's really in our nature. So Stanford puts that in the center. And then there are three major components. One is uh, personal resilience, which as you talked about, that's the app um, where we take care of ourselves. We, we eat healthy. We take some time for ourselves. We use our vacations. Um, we exercise, we move our bodies, we take some time to recuperate. And again, uh, all of that is in the, the personal resilience, the mindfulness, um, self-care, that kind of thing. Then there's another aspect that's the culture of wellness. And then the third aspect is um, the, uh, I'm drawing a blank, the um, ability to have um, your practice run smoothly. And, you know, so that aspect would be like, is your IT functional? Does your um, office staff support one another? So your patient flow is good. Are your MAs working to the top of their license so that they can help you maximally uh, in the office? The culture of wellness is, do you have a system of professionalism because professionalism helps to keep us quote unquote safe in our environment that we're not being yelled at and bullied, that people treat each other with respect. Do you have peer support? So when people are encountering difficult situations, medical errors, that there's somebody there to support them. Do your leaders understand that um, people need to take vacations? Do they understand that people are not just a cog in the wheel, that they're a, um, that they're a person to be valued that's in this arena because they care and that they need to be supported and caring. Um, so all those things are important to well-being. We know that the, the personal resilience is only about 20% of what's causing the, the burnout. Um, you know, our, our insurance companies are a big, um, uh, promoter of the business model, where we have the metrics that are necessary. Um, 
so there are a team of people that are working with the insurance companies to help them understand what those metrics are doing to people and that there's other ways to achieve financial success without having to um, keep these metrics, that uh, there are um, people trying to educate leaders on how to take a more humane uh, approach to the people on the on the front line. And, you know, many of our leaders now are MBAs that don't have any history of uh, being on the front line. So they're removed. And, and as you go up the ladder, you removed many levels from what that experience is really like. So it's helping them to understand the um, experiences of those people on the front line so that they become more in tune with how they run their business. And we see some some um, systems that have done a really good job on this, that they have uh, people that um, they may be uh, wellness directors for the system. And that role is, again, sure, they want to promote things like healthy eating and yoga and meditation and mindfulness, but they really want to sit in the, they want to be um, connected with the C-suite and sit on the board and help promote the importance of the um, culture of wellness and the efficiency of practice so that they, the board and the leaders understand the role that they play in that. So um, there's a, a lot of people that are working in those arenas, trying to make those things happen. Um, what, what, what I'd really like to see is that we could have this kind of conversation held in the business schools where they they do the um, MBAs for or the um, for business 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 administration and healthcare settings that we can have those conversations with them so that they begin to tap into what do their um, what do the people that work within their systems really need. And you've had many of those conversations with the Beaumont system, and, and, and that's where you implemented um, some programs. Can you talk a little bit about some of those initiatives? Yeah, we have um, one of the people that I work with uh, went through the Stanford course on the um, wellness director program or the wellness director position for the system. Um, while she doesn't carry that title, she does have the ear of the C-suite. She's not yet on the uh, board, but she's working on that. And through her constant education, we have been able to uh, create a wellness committee that does have some true impact uh, within our system. We have a professionalism program within our system. Again, uh, professionalism is so important to help minimize the bullying, the, um, the yelling, the uh, poor treatment of people. Um, we have a physician peer support program, and I'm happy to say that this program is becoming more um, embedded in our system in that we have an adverse event reporting program where if there is a medical error, uh, there is a report made to the patient and their family about that. But one of the things we know is that if physicians make a mistake, that they need to be supported because it goes against what we're trained to be. We're trained to be perfectionists and that um, we're trained that making a mistake is not acceptable. And, you know, we're in Michigan, Deb, and we have, uh, I'm in the Metro Detroit area and in a TV show, in a 30-minute TV show, I can see commercials from four different attorneys talking about making medical mistakes and how physicians lie and how they want to hide everything. And um, it, it weighs on you when you're trying to do your best. And we know that we're human. And while we do everything we can to be our best, that at times mistakes happen. And sometimes they have a large impact and sometimes they don't. So supporting physicians through that, whether it's an attending physician, a staff physician, or a resident, they need to understand that 
we aren't human and how to be gentle with ourselves to do that. Um, so those are some of the big initiatives that we've got going on through uh, Beaumont that we feel really good about uh, getting off the ground and, and helping to turn the, um, the tide of uh, some of the ingrained um, traits that, that we have as physicians. Jackie, you bring up a really good point because I, I think a few years back when that triple aim of healthcare was changed into that quadruple aim of making sure that f- uh, physician wellness and well-being was a component that, that we have the ability to continue to provide the best care possible. And a lot of that work uh, and that change came from like the air is human and um the, the quality uh, chasm and, and just changes in quality of healthcare and, and what is it that we're looking for. And physician wellness is kind of at the top of that. Yeah. You know, Deb, when um, they first came up with the triple aim, uh, that was from Don Berwick at the Institute for Healthcare Improvement back in 2004. And in my mind, that's when we really saw the business model of medicine take off. Not that people didn't care about the finances before, but we saw much more in the way of metrics. We saw the um, rate your doc, the Yahoo's, the Press Ganey scores, the um, decreasing the amount of time we could spend with our patients. And then um, I believe it was in 20. So they, they implemented this and it was so good because they wanted a better patient experience. They wanted reduced um, cost of healthcare and they wanted um, better population health, which all of us want that. But what they found is as they uh, implemented these metrics to um, implement that model, that they were failing in every area. And it was noted that that piece of the um, physician well, or the, not physician, but clinician well-being, because it's got to be all of the clinicians that work within the hospital system. Um, They were just getting so burned out that they couldn't perform and they couldn't make these things happen. And it was uh, Dr. Christine Sinsky and one of her partners that came up with the quadruple aim in having um, clinician well-being as the fourth aim that was missing. And some hospitals are embracing that and really realizing that if you take care of your, um, if you take care of your staff, your people, that they are going to take care of the patients because that's what they want to do. And um, others, again, you have that disparity, not, uh, maybe it is a disparity that you have leaders who've never been on the front line and they don't understand. And so um, they just see that bottom line and they don't understand why is that important. Uh, And I think we're seeing more in the way of business that um, businesses are realizing they need to take care of their staff and their well-being. So hopefully it will be a model that in every business we're going to see people taking care of much better but we know that the burnout that we're experiencing, a burned out physician has a hard time taking care of their patients the way that they deserve to be taken care of. And right now the burnout rate is above 40, 44%. Um, new measures were collected in 2021 and those, that information should be disseminated soon. Um, it's under review right now. But uh, we, need to, we need to pay attention to our staff and we need to really identify the things that we can do to make their, um, their setting, their, their environment um, supportive so that they can provide the care that they would like to, they would like to provide. Right. I know before COVID, it was the first time in close to a decade that that burnout rate from uh, physicians was less than 50%. And now that they just collected the data again here in the midst of a pandemic and, you know, we see it on the news and we hear it from our colleagues on how taxed our system is in this pandemic and the burnout that we've had and the, the turnover of nurses and, and not having enough staff. And so I think 
you know, before the pandemic, it was on our forefront. We were working towards it, but I think the pandemic has really um, forced us and, and forced the hand that this this is for real. We really need to spend spend the resources and the time in our staff. I would agree with you a hundred percent. We see the pandemic really exposed many of the issues that um, are present in medicine right now and uh, all of the vast changes that really need to take place. And we saw, um, you know, through the pandemic, we had a lot of people that were um, laid off early on. And then um, we have a lot of people who are just absolutely burned out uh, on on their roles that they are playing within the, the medical system and they just can't do it anymore. We're seeing people retire, resign or retire early um, on a daily basis. And we've hit, we're again in Michigan, we're, as of this week, we're number two on the hit parade as far as COVID numbers. Um, this week, Minnesota surpassed us for the seven day average, but up until then, Michigan was the number one uh, state in the country. And our healthcare, our healthcare providers are just absolutely exhausted. And many of it is from people who are not getting vaccines that they uh, get sick and then they come into the ER because they want us to help them. And just as a side note, you know, they, they don't know what's in the vaccine yet they want treatment that is again experimental and it's just very frustrating to be in that situation that people are crying for help when they could have prevented some of this from happening um and you know this week uh two michigan hospitals were in crisis and had gotten permission from the federal government to bring in national guard support uh to work in their hospitals so that the hospitals could have a safe uh, environment for their patients, but we really are in crisis. Um, we need people to come back to work. We need people to, uh, and, and we can't tell our current staff, well, you need to do more uh, because they're doing everything they can. We need people to come back to work. We need people to, um, to fill up those, those spots so that we can continue to provide safe care to our, um, our patients. Yeah, such a somber, somber time in healthcare, and and I think those that that continue going to the front lines um, every day, and 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 wellness is is this component that that we really try to encompass. It's not by attending a one hour webinar on on wellness or attending a day long retreat. Wellness is every single day. But one thing with wellness, it really is at the core of osteopathy and, and the work that you've done in osteopathic recognition. So how do you uh, integrate wellness into the OR programs that, that you facilitate for uh, Michigan State, um, the College of Osteopathic Medicine, as well as, well as uh, with Beaumont and, and other healthcare providers and, and systems you work with? So I think osteopathic recognition, you know, there's, there's two ways of looking at it. One is the formal osteopathic recognition through ACGME, which some programs um, do pursue that and other programs um, do not. But osteopathic recognition, osteopathy is a philosophy. And if you embrace the philosophy of osteopathy, um, you can implement that in whatever kind of program that you're, uh, you're providing. And as I mentioned, you know, it was AT Still that talked about wellness and wellness to him. Um, I'm just going to go through the four tenets of osteopathy to kind of refresh people's memories. So the first one is that the body is a unit of body, mind, and spirit. The second one is the body is capable of self-regulation, self-healing, and health maintenance. That structure and function are interrelated. And that was what one of the big um, tenets that A.T. Still brought to osteopathy. 
And treatment is based on the understanding of these. And in addition, um, that with osteopathy, you want to discover the, the cause of the disease and treatment can be physical as in manipulation. It can be nutritional, pharmacological, environmental. Um, there's a whole range that that treatment can be. And it's really a holistic approach where you're partnering with the patient. And um, this, is, this is interesting because there was a, a survey done of um, consumers about complementary and alternative medicine. And 55% of people use um, some form of complementary medicine, complementary and alternative medicine. 66% of people want their health insurance to cover this. And further in the study, it says 72% of people try to avoid medications when possible. And 62% think that doctors are too quick to prescribe medications. So when you see those kinds of statistics, um, people are clamoring for that philosophy of osteopathic medicine. And I, I think it's important to continually have those conversations with residents, with staff. And one of the things that we're finding as a barrier is that with our um, metrics that people are being asked to meet, uh, where there's maybe 15 minutes allowed for a visit. And that includes, you know, bringing the person into the room, talking with them, um, coming up with a plan and, and any prescriptions or things that you need to do for them. That doesn't really allow you the time to look at what is the cause of the symptoms that they're bringing to you. Um, you know, for for an example, I, I had a gentleman that I saw, because I, I still do urgent care, even though I'm not practicing in the ER, I'm still doing urgent care. And I had a young gentleman who came in, was very anxious because he'd been having some chest tightness and um, feeling very anxious. And as we talked, um, he said, well, there's a lot going on. And he was just very glib about it. But it turns out that his kids had COVID. Um, they gave COVID to his wife, who is still under quarantine. Um, he's a runner and had uh, pulled his back and had been getting some treatment for his back. And it was the end of the year stress at, at work. And it took us having this conversation to realize where some of his anxiety and stress were coming from. And um, I was fortunate that I had a little more time to talk with him and be able to uncover these things. But oftentimes you don't have that time. It's just, oh, you're having chest tightness. You need to go to the ER. You need to go get a stress test. You need to blah, blah, blah. And um, what he really needed to do was connect with why there's so much stress that it doesn't mean he's an unhealthy man. It means that there's a lot of things going on in his environment that are impacting his well-being and how can he mitigate that stress. And, you know, when I have talks with residents, I often point those kinds of things out. And residents are taught how to get in and out in 15 minutes. And when I was, I was a program director for a long time and, and, you know, I always saw every patient that my resident saw and I would go in and um, I would uncover this information. And they're like, how did, how did you do that? How did you find that information out? And I said, I asked pointed questions and they're often so rushed because they're expected to see so many patients and have the RVUs that um, that art of uh, seeking out the cause is getting lost. And I think that's one of the really important reasons why we need to have a reform in healthcare so that we can begin talking to our patients. And again, if 72% don't just want medication, um, you know, as physicians, we can help point out those blind spots of why am I so stressed right now? Um, why is this going on right now? Um, we're able to help get to the bottom of some of that.
I hope that um, people can see through the uh, with the ACGME that they can still promote osteopathy. And I was very lucky to work where I did that um, we did promote osteopathy, but it's a constant um, reminder to residents and staff that this is important to them. Uh, this is important to convey to our patient or our, our learners that um, finding, finding a way to really connect with our patients is just so important. So we're not just going to uh, write a prescription that we're going to help them um, truly let their body heal itself. And we can encourage that in many ways. You know, one other thing that we can talk about, Deb, is the uh, aspect of the formal osteopathic recognition. And it is a, um, a track through the ACGME. Um, there are, uh, they prefer you to have two residents every year so that the residents can learn from each other, but it's not, that's not mandatory. One is mandatory. And the need to have two staff people, uh, you have your director and another core faculty that's identified as um, a, a core faculty for uh, osteopathic recognition. And there's, I think there's a couple things that I see that, that are issues. If you read the ACGME um, guidelines, it says in there a couple of times that no extra resources should be put forward to the uh, director of osteopathy or the uh, core faculty or to achieve the things that are needed for osteopathic recognition. Um, personally, I think that's part of where we go wrong. We, at, we, we have physicians who are stressed maximally, and then you want them to add on the extra things like in, um, in the osteopathic recognition, you need to do a um, scholarly activity, which may end up being a paper, uh, speaking at a national conference, which isn't always easy to, to get on the agenda for a national conference. Um, and there are other things that you can do, but it takes a lot of extra time. And I think if we want people to uh, really support osteopathic recognition, that we need to recognize the amount of time they're already spending in their work and that they need to, um, that, that they need to be compensated, either giving um, some administrative time to do the things that they need to do or given um, extra funding for the things that they need to do. Because there's a list of uh, things that are included um, for some of the activities such as the um, in-service, or not in-services, but the faculty development. You know, if you're in a place where there's um, a couple of programs, then you can have your faculty join together to do your faculty development so that it doesn't lie on the shoulders of just one person to continue to do those. You can do those regionally, you can do those nationally. Some of them can be done remotely, but there also is the need for um, the training in uh, oste osteopathic manipulation. And that is a hands-on um, program, but again, it can be done regionally uh, so that people can get together and learn the skills. It can be done uh, in a, a very creative ways where even um, now we have the technology where someone can be leading the conference from one place and people can be in their own settings, but still be following along and um, you know, focusing on how to perfect their, their techniques. Uh, so there's a lot of creative ways that people can do that. But again, I think we need to support them um, either financially or giving them administrative leave time to be able to accomplish the things that are required to meet osteopathic recognition standards.
Right. And, and with, with the ACGME, you know, so, some of our uh, historically osteopathic residency programs who have obtained the ACGME accreditation have opted not to go for that osteopathic recognition um, endorsement uh, or uh, additional accreditation because of an, an, an additional cost. Um, some of the resources that you've talked about, yet they still participate in including some of the osteopathic foundations curriculum that MSU Com puts out, attending the OR journal clubs, uh, participating in the OMM journal clubs or didactics, coming to the hands-on um, OMM didactics uh, uh, and uh, workshops uh, that MSU Com offers. So there are still ways to integrate the tenets of osteopathy, um, participate in osteopathic recognition, even without that additional um, endorsement. Agree wholeheartedly. And I, like you say, I, I think um, it's really a blessing that MSUCOM uh, through statewide campus offers some of the programs that they do uh, so that people can participate in those and really help us maintain the importance of those philosophies of osteopathic recognition. You know, and um, I have the good fortune to be the coordinator for the Osteopathic Recognition Journal Club. And we do uh, articles that cover three areas. One is the osteopathic manipulation. Um, we do lifestyle medicine, which I think is very uh, appropriate for osteopathic um, recognition. And we also do uh, physician wellness. So we cover three areas uh, quarterly on that. And again, to give people, um, to remind them that it is a, um, it is a philosophy. It's not just about manipulation. Right. Um, what about our MD colleagues and how can we integrate them into the discussion of osteopathic recognition, osteopathy, tenants, um, because they too are, are talking about wellness and, and promoting wellness and, and maybe bridging a little bit of that, that uh, gap between the two practices. I think that's about education. And when you, um, some of our MD colleagues are taking a much more holistic approach. You know, we've seen the blossoming of functional medicine and the blossoming of integrative medicine. And when you look at those philosophies, uh, they very much are in line with osteopathic recognition. So the philosophy of, oste of osteopathy is aligned with some of the um, some of the current trends that we're seeing in medicine. And it is also uh, in line, you know, as I mentioned, um, you know, 72% of people would like to avoid medicine if they can. So it's like, how do we get to the uh, aspect of helping them to, you know, tap into their healing resources. So that's what people want. And um, again, it's education, it's helping them helping our MD colleagues realize what the, the benefits of this philosophy are and how we're not the redheaded stepchild. We are in line with what our population wants. We are in line with some of the things that they're flocking to, such as the functional medicine and integrative medicine. Um, when I was in school, um, I, I really enjoyed manipulation and MSU offers a um, you can correct me on the proper name, but it's osteopathic principles. And there is uh, an, an introduction to what osteopathy is, but there's also a, a big focus on manipulation. And uh, I had the opportunity to teach in that course, or to be an assistant in that course when I was in um, school. And all the people in that course, with the exception of a few who were trying to refine their skills, we're MDs. And I see a lot of um, oste osteopathic physicians not keeping their skills up to date where 
we have MDs that are anxious to learn those skills because they know that it is something that's a benefit to their patients. Um, so I, I think we need to tap into this and educate in a way that they will hear us um, and point out what, what our population wants, but also going back to that healthcare reform where uh, this isn't something that can be done in a 10 minute visit or 15 minute visit. Um, we need a little more time. And until we can spend some time with our patients, it's gonna be difficult for us to convince anyone, even our osteopathic colleagues, how important it is to continue to follow uh, and adhere to the tenets of osteopathy. Yeah, I, I love that you brought up education. Um, I think that's uh, the foundation of where everything starts and that we can really build on it. I know we had a very successful uh, fall program of our OPP for the MD, but we actually even expanded it to our PhD faculty that teach early in the in the curriculum so that they can also be promoters of um, the, the osteop osteopathic tenants um, because they teach in both the allopathic school as well as the osteopathic school. So if our PhD counterparts can also be involved in this education and promotion, um, I think that will also increase. But our, our MD faculty that uh, and physicians that were, were present, um, they want more they're asking for more. So we have a part two coming out this spring um, to invite those MD faculty back. And we are planning on continuing to build um, this program where we can sit and educate and, and talk and collaborate on bringing these tenants forward, bringing the philosophy forward um, and just building a, an overall uh, more cohesive um, team of practitioners that are working with each other uh, and, and moving towards the same thing. We all want the same thing. We all want our patients to be well. Yeah. Um, we all want ourselves to be well. Yeah. Well, and I think too, we look at um, one of the things that you, in coaching, you ask a lot of questions. So you ask people, um, well, what do you really want? What's important to you? And it's, I want to, I want to play with my children. I want to have enough energy. I want to be healthy enough to do my job and enjoy life. Um, so that's not about, I want to be taking six pills a day so that I can keep my blood pressure under control. Um, you know, it's how do we, how do we ask those questions so that people can identify for themselves? What does well-being mean? Even asking the physicians, what does well-being of your patients mean? Um, what, what does that mean for you? And, um, you know, some of the measures that we have as far as, you know, physicians are being held to a standard of keeping blood pressure to a certain level. Well, do we, can we offer our patients an opportunity to, make some lifestyle and dietary changes and come back in three months and see what it does to their blood pressure before we automatically start prescribing medications. Um, you know, having those kinds of discussions with each other, um, with the, the insurance plans, with the government for Medicare, Medicaid, so that you're not dinged um, and work with people because as you well know, to make a lifestyle change is not going to be like snap your fingers and okay, you no longer want, you no longer want uh, bacon and ham, or you don't want your sugar anymore. Uh, it takes time. And we need to realize that habits take a while to change. And that, um, you know, it's about digging deep into what we want, what we'd like for our physician, what we'd like for our patients, what we'd like for ourselves and our families. And I think if we start relating it in that way, that it's going to make more sense. And, you know, again, this fits right in with what we see going on with functional medicine, integrative medicine, that we're taking into account that whole person and especially looking at our lifestyle, because we know that in our busyness, that um, fast foods, frozen foods have become a way of life for so many uh, that 
we've become more sedentary. And I think this pandemic has, has even showed us more so where uh, we're on the computer much more with Zoom meetings that we're not even getting up and walking around the office anymore. Um, and so how do we make, how do we make some of those changes and um, being very cognizant about what it is that we'd like to have different? Yeah, there, I mean, it, the world is ever changing and the, and the more um, activities that kids are in after school and they're running around and, and not being home to be able to have those family meals together. I mean, there, there's, so, there's so many layers and components that, that impact our, our wellness um, and, you know, having the support of our healthcare providers to help peel back those layers and, and really get back to what's important to me as a person uh, and for my family, I think will just increase that promotion of wellness in, in our patients. Um, and, but the same thing, you know, we, we've talked time and time again, that, that we need to change that, uh, that culture of wellness um, at the system level, you know, for so many years, uh, and, and even still a little bit now, it's sometimes perceived as not okay for our healthcare provider to say, you know what, I'm not well. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, in that culture of wellness, they did a study and the numbers are eluding me, but um, they looked at how many people did not use their vacation time and that time away. And it was an astronomically high number of people not taking advantage of the time off that they could have. Um, That, you know, that if I work harder and I work more, then I'm going to go up the ladder because that's what I'm supposed to be. And that um, sense of I have I have to be available 24 seven, you know, as you go up the the leadership level that, you know, I'm available. I can't shut off my phone. I can't shut off my pager. Um, I've got to be available. Uh, That's a really bad practice that, that we've, we've started. And, you know, it's not a badge of honor to be a workaholic and our society has made it so. And the nice thing about the OPP for MDs is that you're, you're discussing a, um, a philosophy and a change in the way that you practice in the way that you live your life. And you're forming a community of people who are like-minded and a community that can share, you know what, I did this and it was helpful and I did this and this was helpful. Um, and we know that change takes baby steps, but the light bulb going on within ourselves and the light bulb going on within a community of like-minded people is so important to bring about that change and having discussions like this, where um, people can reflect back on what is it that's important to them? What do I need to do? What can, what little step can I take either in my own life or in my life with a practice in my life as an educator that can really look at the global aspect of what well-being is not that um, did I eat my three servings of salmon this week, um, but to take in the whole picture. And, and I think those are great closing remarks. You know, what small change can I make to improve my wellness today? Yeah, and that that goes back. You know, as a coach, mm-hmm. people may have a um, a vision of what they would like their life to look like, their work life to look like. So in that vision, you break down into what is one or two low hanging fruits that I can make a difference and that I can really feel like life is a little bit different for me because every baby step we take that's positive is going to help keep that dream and that vision alive. And so we can all dream of, we want well-being for our um, physician staff, our educators, our clinicians. We want well-being for our patients. But what is that one step that I can take? Um, is it, 
you know, if you're in a leadership position, is it really almost making it mandatory that patient, that our staff use their vacation time? You know, maybe that one little thing to say, plan it, you guys, you, you need to, you need the break. You need to get away. You need to have that, that decompression time. Um, is it making arrangements so that your office is closed for one hour at lunchtime so that your staff can be free of having to look at the screen. If they want to go walk for a half hour, they can, um, that they can eat their lunch in peace and have a little bit of time not to do it in 10 minutes. Uh, it's those kinds of little things that we can do that can really start making a big difference. And then it gives you the opportunity, okay, this has been successful. What else can we do? You know, we're liking this, we're feeling better. Um, and get buy-in from those around you to say, what is it that's important to you? What is it that you would like to see happen? Um, what's that one little change that could truly make a difference? Jackie, thank you so much for being here with me today. I, I really appreciate your your insight into wellness as well as the osteopathic recognition component and really how, how they go uh, hand in hand. Um, so thank you. Deb, thank you. And, you know, it's always a pleasure to work with you because you're such an advocate for this and um, you're bringing about so many programs that help promote well-being, not only of our clinicians, but promotion of those osteopathic principles and um, helping all of us to be um, better physicians in promoting well-being for everybody. Well, thank you for that.